There it is. So glad you're here. Turn your Bibles, if you, if you would, this morning to Romans chapter 12, and then we're going to Jonah chapter 2 as we continue our series today on God's will, my life. And uh, we started the series last week, had a great time together, had a great first Sunday together for those that were here. And uh, I believe we're going to continue having a great time in this series today. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But before you can get there, you've got to present yourselves to God. Jonah, chapter 2, last week we read chapter 1, and we've been going through the book of Jonah, uh, discovering God's will for our life. And uh, we're going to continue over the next three, uh, this week and next two weeks to look at the book of Jonah. Jonah, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, And Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I, I shall again look Upon your holy temple. Verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. And the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let me read that part again. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I pray that today that, God, you would speak to us, and, and God, we would hear your voice. And Lord, as we're here, Lord God, uh, many of us may be wrestling through circumstances and situations in our life, looking for you to speak to us, that, God, today you would speak. God, others of us, Lord God, that are just moving through life, God, and everything's fantastic, God, I pray you would show us that there's more to life. God, I pray that as we leave this place, God, we would leave challenged, God, we would leave encouraged, and we would leave, Lord God, with our eyes focused on you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. There was a guy sitting on his porch, and as he was sitting there, he was watching the rain came down. And the rain was coming down, and it was coming down, coming down, and it was coming down so much that the water actually began to rise, and it started to come up on his porch. And as he was sitting there watching the water rise, uh, a little rowboat came by and said, hey, man, you should, you should jump in. Man, we need to get out of here. And the guy was like, no, 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 don't worry about it. God will save me. People are like, okay, we're getting out of here. And they rowed on, and 
man, sure enough, man, the rain kept coming, the water level kept rising higher and higher and higher, and he had to go up to his second, second floor, and he's looking out the window, and all of a sudden, the speedboat comes cruising by, and they see him, and they stop and say, hey, man, you need to get in the boat. We, we need to get out of here. And the guy was like, no, don't, don't worry about it. God will save me. They were like, okay, see you later. So they took off, and man, the water kept rising and getting higher and higher. And finally, the guy had to climb up to the roof of his house, and he's, he's sitting up there watching the water level rise and rise and rise. And all of a sudden, a helicopter comes hovering over, and, and they shout down to him, and they let down a rope. They said, hey, grab onto the rope. We're here to rescue you and save you. And the guy just says, no, 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 get out of here. God will save me. The water kept rising and rising, and soon the man drowned. He gets into heaven, and he sees God, and he's like, God. You were supposed to save me. What's going on? And God looks at him and goes, you dummy, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more did you want? Yeah. Yeah. As we're talking about God's will our life, and we, we begin to look at what God's will is for our life, so many of us are like that man. We're sitting there and we're saying, God, what, what's your will for my life? Well, what, what do you want me to do? And, and God sends you his, his word. And you keep crying out, well, that's great, God, but, but, but what, what, what's your will for my life? What, what do you want me to do? I mean, God, what, what, what's purpose? What, what, what do I do with my life? And so then God sends you a tall, handsome, good-looking dude every Sunday. Amen. Thank you. I got one amen from the front there, and that's, that's the only amen I need. Come on, somebody. You know? And we're like that, and we're like, God, what's, what's the will? And some of us, you know, God willing, you'll get to heaven, and you'll be there. And you'll be saying, God, you know, I just wanted to do so much more, and, and I just wanted, but, but, but you never told me. And God's going to look at you and say, man, hopefully he won't call you a dummy, but <laughs> say, man, I, I, I tried to. I, I gave you my word, man, that the doors of the churches were open every Sunday. Man, I even sent those people over to talk to you, you know, or I, I gave you that friend that continually told you. I believe that, that God's will for our life is not really that hard to decipher and do, but too often times we're ignoring the signs that are right in front of us. Are you with me? It's kind of like I'm working with my daughter Faith right now, and I have two daughters, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and, and Faith's in a season of life where we're working on obedience, which is probably something we should work on all the time, and some of you probably still need to have that worked in your life, but it's done a little different. It's not done with Mr. Spoon. <laughs> you know, the Bible says to train up a child the way they should go when they get older, they won't depart from it. The Bible actually talks about the rod of correction, okay? In our house, the rod of correction, because rod just sounds so violent. <laughs> we have the spoon of correction, okay? And I'll share that verse with my daughter. Say, this is the spoon of correction. And the Bible says that wickedness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. And so we have Mr. Spoon. We've actually even drawn a little happy face on Mr. Spoon. No, I'm just kidding. We haven't done that. <laughs> Do you imagine? Yeah. Um, but see, here's what happens. We train up a child, but what happens is this is at some point we hand them over to God, and no longer do we deal with them like we used to, but now, hey, they're in God's hands, okay? But how do you know that God's spoon is a lot bigger than man's spoon? Come on, somebody, okay? And so we're doing our best to teach our, our daughters, teach our daughters, uh, you know, obedience and train them up in the way that they should go, and so we're working with faith, and faith right now has this thing called selective hearing, Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Either you have kids or you're like a kid and you have that same selective hearing. Okay. And what happens is, is I'll be like, hey, Faith, can you pick up your shoes and, and put them in the, the shoebox? Faith, can you pick up your shoes and put them in the shoebox? Like the fifth time, okay? My patience has run thin. 
okay? And actually, we don't let it go to fifth anymore. We tell them once, we tell them twice, and by the third time, they're in trouble, okay? But we used to let it kind of go, and I'll be like five times, I'll come walking over, I said, Faith, why did you not, I didn't hear you. Now, I would totally believe that if, when I said, Faith, there's ice cream on the table. Come on, somebody. I would totally believe that if I had to tell her five times that there was ice cream on the table. But I don't. I say, Faith, there's ice cream. I don't even get the words out of my mouth. And she's there. And she's like, you know, spooning into her mouth. Okay? What is that? That's, that's called selective hearing. That's actually called disobedience. Okay? Some of us are like that with God. God is telling us, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. But because it doesn't fit in to what we think the will of God should be for our life. Come on, somebody. Am I stepping on anybody's toes yet? Okay. Because, see, I believe all of us, you know, in deep down in our heart, we really want to do the right thing. God, we want to do your will, and we want to do this. And, and then when God speaks and, and says, here's what I want you to do, I want you to go make disciples of all men. I want you to share your faith with that other person. Are you with me? I want to make you fishers of men. You're still like, God, I, I want to know what the will, you know, your will is for my life. You know? We have that selective hearing problem. Okay? Here, as we look at the book of Jonah, we see that Jonah had a little bit of a selective hearing problem. Okay? Because here's what you got to understand. You could just read through the book of Jonah and be like, wow, Jonah, man, you missed it, you blew it. But here's what you got to understand. Jonah was a prophet to Israel. His number one job was to hear from God and then to tell the people of Israel what God was saying, okay? Now, if you have a selective hearing problem, that's not a good job to have, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Jonah's number one job, he's a prophet. He hears from God, he delivers the message. Here's what took place, though, is now he hears a message that he doesn't like. He hears a message that, wait, you want me to go to prophesy and tell Nineveh that if they don't repent, that they're going to be destroyed? Because he remembers that, wait a second, Nineveh, the, the, those people there, man, they, they're the ones that are our biggest problem. They're the biggest burden on Israel. And if I go and they repent, that means they're going to live longer. Come on, somebody. And they're going to be more of a burden. And so he, he has this selective, this selective hearing, hearing issue. Here's what we have to learn when it comes to the will of God. We have to learn that at some point, God's will will intersect with our will. And at that moment, when God's will intersects with your will, you have two choices. You can either obey and do what he's telling you to do, or you can run from his will in disobedience. A lot of us would like to throw a third option in there called selective hearing. And be like my daughter, I didn't hear you. Okay? But here's one thing I know for sure is that you can either obey the will of God, you can disobey the, obey the will of God, but you can never change the will of God. Are you with me? Okay. You will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords one day, and this excuse won't work. I didn't hear you. Doesn't work in my house. It's not going to work in his house. Okay. We need to learn today. We need to learn through this series that our will will intersect with his will. And, and here's the thing is I think so many of us, we have this, 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 and it's okay to dream. I'm a big dreamer. And it's okay to have big plans for your life. But when God's will comes and intersects with your will, here's what we need to understand. What is his will? We talked about it last week, 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is willing that none should perish, but all should come into relationship with him. And we see that, that same thing throughout all of, all of the Bible. That God comes and he redeems. Why does he redeem? Because he wants relationship with humanity. 
Humanity blows it. What does he do? He sends a prophet. He sends a judge. And then in the New Testament, he sends his son Jesus to redeem humanity forever. forever. Are you with me? What do we see? We see a good, gracious God that wants relationship with humanity. And then we see in the New Testament that Jesus, the number one thing when he calls people to follow him, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. What is that? That's not about you. It's about everybody else. And here's what we ought to understand. It's okay to have big dreams. But listen to me. The Bible says be faithful with a little. God will give you more. If you're faithful to do his will, come on, somebody. If you delight yourself in the Lord and you do his will and you delight yourself in his will, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Look, if, you, if you're here today and you want to be a successful business person, that is a great desire. That is a great goal. That is a great dream. And I'm telling you right now, if you would put God's will first, he would give you the desires of your heart and he would give you that successful business as long as you continue to yield that successful business to him and use it for his kingdom. Are you with me? It's kind of quiet in here today. What we need to see is that God's will trumps our will. But if we would just walk in his will and be, be, be people of God that, that, that tell others about Jesus, then he would come and you begin to say, you know what, well done, good and faithful servant. Not just in heaven, because the Bible says, who has not left house or home for the sake of the kingdom, they'll receive a hundred times in this life and in the life to come. God wants to bless what you're doing, but he wants you to do it according to his plan According to his purpose. We saw last week as we began to, begin to look at, at Jonah that our will when it intersects with God's will that we have a choice to make. But Jonah ran like many of us do. And when Jonah ran, what happened? God hurled a great storm at Jonah. Verse 4. Verse 3 says, but Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4 of chapter 1 says, but the Lord. Come on, how many know that God's butt is a lot bigger than yours? Okay. But Jonah ran from the presence of God, but God hurled a storm at Jonah, and the storm was so great that even those experienced people that worked on ships were freaking out, thinking we're going to die. They started hurling the cargo over, and then they started hurling Jonah over. Come on, somebody. We have to notice that it was God that hurled the storm at us, and why does God do that? He does that in his grace, his love, and his mercy, because he wants to get you back into his purpose and his will for your life. What was that for Jonah? Jonah, go tell others about me. I don't want to, God. Hmm. He runs. God hurls a storm. I've had storms hurled in my life. 2004, God began to speak to me and my wife about starting this church. We were working at a church in Rancho Bernardo, and and, uh, we had been there serving for quite some time and ended up uh, serving there for about six years. But in 2004, God began to speak to us. January 25th, 2004. Still have the journal at home. Go back to it often. And God began to speak to us about starting this church, and, and he just began to speak for literally, literally 11 months, and it was just inside of me, and we were thinking about it, and I was trying to keep it, because I was like, wait a second, you know, I'm not ready for this, God. And so in October of 2004, I met with my lead pastor. He said, you know what, I don't know, it sounds like a good idea, but let's just sit on it, let's meet in the first part of 2005. So we meet in the first part of 2005, and uh, we sit down, and and he says, man, I believe what's in your heart. I believe it's a good thing. And it's probably even a God thing, but this is the wrong timing. He said, when do you think you'll start the church? And these were my exact words. We'll start the church January 2007. You remember that? January 2007. He said, well, that's about two years off. Um, he goes, I just don't know if I can have that just sitting in your heart for two years and still, you know, you be working here. That might be a conflict of interest. Um, so you need to begin to look for some other options. And I was like, are you firing me? He said, no, I'm pushing you on to another job. <laughs> Okay? 
And so that was a storm right there, because here I am, you know, I have, I have a three-month-old, I have a, a two-year-old, and, uh, and here I have these dreams that, listen to me, it's got to be a God thing for you to start a church, okay? If you, if you think we started this church because, hey, it's a cool thing to do, it ain't cool, it's hard, okay? You know, it wasn't like, you know, hey, we just have grips of money, let's just try starting a church, I mean, we're independently wealthy, right? I'm the seed of Abraham, praise Jesus, you know? It's not like, I mean, I mean, are you with me? It wasn't like it was like, you know, like it's this, you know, oh man, I'm going to be making millions. I'm going to be a lead pastor of a church of 150 people, you know? Okay? I mean, it's storm, and now I'm told that not only can I not go do that, but you need to go find a new job. I got a three-month octave like, dear Jesus. Storm hurled at me. God sovereignly led us to Vegas. Now, how many know it's got to be God's will? Come on, somebody, to be led to Vegas. <laughs> I met somebody in the park the other day, and we struck up a conversation just right out here, and uh, somehow Vegas came up. There. Oh, what'd you do in Vegas? Were you, a, were you a dealer in one of the casinos? Really? What about this says dealer? Come on, somebody. Why are you laughing? Okay. Hurting my feelings right there. And I was like, no, actually, I was a pastor. Like, whoa, pastor, I bet you, man, there's a lot of people that need Jesus there. You know, I was like, yeah. There, there sure was. <laughs> I was one of them by the time I left. Come on. <laughs> and so we go to Vegas, and man, that was God's will. But listen to me. Now, that, was, that was a small storm, but I, I kid you not, man. Uh, when I went there, the pastor said, you know, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a lead pastor. I'm not going to lie to you. This is what God spoke to me. He said, okay, just give me three years. And this is 2005, this will be 2008. He said, give me three years, and I'll send you out, and you can, you can plant the church in uh, San Diego like you want. And I was like, okay. And, uh, and so, man, things are going great. I mean, things, the youth ministry is blowing up. We took a youth ministry of 30 up to 240 in 18 months. God was just blessing us and doing some, some sovereign things. Okay, that was around November of 2006. Okay, great things were happening. We, we get through Christmas. January 2007 hits and all hell breaks loose. I, have to, I, would, I, would, I would say that 2007 was probably the worst year of my life. Not financially, you know, none of those things, but it was literally like all hell broke loose. It was just the strangest, weirdest season of my life, and I was just perplexed. I'm like, God, what's going on? And so we struggle all through 2007. My pastor is honestly starting to hate me. <laughs> And I'm going to him, and man, we're just not clicking, and we're not seeing eye to eye, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm like questioning everything, and I'm just like, you know, God, what's going on? I don't think we should do that. We should do this, and, and this thing's just festering inside of me. End of 2007, we begin to believe that God is moving us on, and then, uh, then uh, June of, oh no, uh, April, May, May of 2008, we move back to San Diego, knowing that we're going to start this church, which we started in February 2009. I say, Ben, why are you sharing, sharing that story? January 2007, all hell broke loose. I mean, it was bad. And I look back, and I've tried to blame the devil, and I've tried to just, you know, blame everybody around me. I've tried to blame, I've tried to blame people for it. I've tried to, you know what? God spoke to me. He said, Ben, that was me hurling a storm at you to get you out of Vegas to San Diego so that you could do my will. Remember, if we rewind back to 2004, I sat there and told that pastor, I really believe that God's speaking to us to start the church January 2007. I don't believe that was just me saying, I believe that was God's will. And I believe that we missed the timing a little bit, but God's sovereign and he redeemed it. But all hell was breaking loose in our life because we were not in the exact perfect will of God to be here starting this church. 
And so God just kept hurling the storm until we got so uncomfortable that they threw me out of the church. Come on, somebody. <laughs> they hurled me. <laughs> they didn't just hurl me a little ways. They hurled me a state away. Come on, somebody. So you've got to be able to discern the, the storms in your life. And this was one that God used so sovereignly to get us to this place where we are today. And I believe that God is, 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 is seeing people saved, that people are getting right, that marriages are getting stronger. Come on, somebody. Some of you are, are some of those people. You found Jesus right here. Jonah chapter 2. What do we see is happening? That first thing I want to point out is this, that Jonah is still running from the will of God. But he's not just running from the will of God, but he's running from the presence of the Lord. It says in chapter 1, verse 3, that, that God, in verse 2, God spoke to him. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 3, but Jonah fled the presence of the Lord. Here's something we need to understand. If we're not in the will of God, we're actually running from the presence of God. Which tells me this, if I really want to discern the will of God, I should get into the presence of God. But Jonah now is still running. The second thing I want to point out is this, is that when you run from God, things only get worse. Things only get worse. They don't get better. They get worse. And Jonah's running from the will of God, and things go from bad to worse. It only leads you further away. Listen to his prayer. Listen to his prayer in the belly of the well. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. But if you go back, what does he say? I'm crying from the belly of Sheol in verse 2. Sheol is a word for hell, which is always referenced by us as down. But it's not only a word for hell, but it's also a word for extreme separation from God. And oftentimes, eternal separation from God. So listen to what he's saying. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now what he's saying is, I called out to you being completely separated from you. I've ran so far and things have gotten so bad that I don't even hear you calling me anymore. There's this great separation between us. It's not that I'm just kind of running from the will of God and the presence of God, but now we're separated. And from there, I cried to you. What happened? It just continually got worse and worse and worse and worse. Jonah fled to Tarshish. Where he was supposed to go was up to Nineveh, about 500 miles, but instead he flees down to Tarshish, about 1,000 miles. He's in the boat, going down, away from the will of God, and what does he do? The Bible says he goes down into the boat and falls asleep, okay? If that that wasn't far enough away, the storm breaks out, and now the people, they cast the lots. Remember last week, they rolled dice, played craps to find out who was, y'all remember? You can watch it online if you didn't catch it, okay? To find out it was Jonah running from from his God, and so what do they do? Man, they take him and they hurl him out of the boat. Man, he's he's not at the bottom of the boat anymore. He's now at the bottom of the water. Things are progressively getting, getting worse. And he's going down and he's going down. But here even, in his prayer, he says, I cried to you from Sheol, the separation from you. God, I was so distant from you because when you you run from God's will, things only get get worse. Are you with me? Mm. Here's the reality. If you don't turn back to him, if you don't turn back to the will of God and the presence of God, it ends in separation from God. 
But here in chapter 2, the great thing is this, that the whole entire chapter is a chapter about repentance. That's what it is. I mean, when you look at it, it's pretty funny because you have verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, and then verses 2 all the way to verse 9 are his prayer, and then verse 10 cracks me up, and then God spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited out on dry land. Eight of the verses are his repentance. One verse is setting him up, and then the last verse is God's response to his repentance. Puke him up. Come on, somebody. Let me just point this out real quickly. The third thing I want to point out is this, is God first hurled the storm, but now he appoints a fish. God hurled the storm in his life to get him back on track. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that if Jonah on the boat would have repented and said, God, I'm wrong. Would you forgive me? I, I'm going I'm to head to Nineveh. That the storm would have stopped. They could have gave him a little paddle boat. Come on, somebody. Because they weren't that far from land. How do we know that? Because in, in chapter 1, we see that they tried to row hard against the storm to get to land. So they could see land. I believe with all my heart in that moment, if Jonah just would have repented and said, God, I've been wrong, that the storm would have stopped. At any moment, when you call upon the name of the Lord, what does the Bible say? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he didn't. Instead of repenting, rather than repenting, he tells the guys, hey, you should probably throw me into the sea. (laughs) Repent, do God's will, die. I know it's, it's hard scales to weigh out, huh? But really, in essence, if you never repent and get right with God, that's what you're saying. Uh, it's better for me to live my own life the way I see fit and what I want to do, but there's a way that seems right to the man, but the end thereof leads to death. Jonah says, hey, throw me out. It'd be better if I was out there in the waves, then you guys will be okay. And so, so the, the Bible says this, though, that they decided, no, we're not going to do that. They rode hard against the storm. What were they doing? They were rowing hard against the will of God, the purpose of God. God not only appointed the storm, but God appointed the fish. And how many think that Jonah was pretty stoked that the fish was more obedient than he was? Huh? God spoke to that fish. Hey, fish. Doesn't even get a name. It just gets fish, right? Hey, fish. This is what's going to happen. A guy's going to come flying out of that ship any moment now. When he does, I I want you to let him panic for a little while. Sink. Yeah, about maybe 30 yards down. And just when he thinks it's over, I want you to open up your mouth and swallow him. And think of the fish would be like some of us. Hmm. Well, I don't know, God. Let me pray and fast for a little while and see if that's your will. I'll get back to you in a year or two, and I'll let you know. Jonah would be dead. Are you with me? Jonah's pretty stoked that the fish is a lot more being. But here's the reality of it is that a lot of us like that. God speaks. Well, God, that sounds, that sounds good, but you know what? I'm just going to go run it by my spiritual authority, and then I'm going to fast and pray for 40 years, and, and then I'll get back to you. By that time, people are dead. God speaks to the fish. Fish obeys. The fish does. crazy thing is, is God has a way of using all sorts of mammals and animals in the Bible. I thought back to Numbers chapter 22 where, where God used a donkey. Y'all ever read that story? I mean, the fish is a good one. But when you go back to Numbers 22, the donkey actually talks. Y'all need to read your Bible a little more, huh? 
I mean, here the fish doesn't talk, the fish just does. But in the story of Balaam's donkey, y'all remember the story? Balaam is, ba- Balaam's got hired by Balak to go and curse the children of Israel. And so, you know, he's prophet for hire, making some money. Okay, I'll do that. And so he gets on his donkey and he's going to curse the children of Israel. And as he's going, um, an angel of the Lord appears with a big sword. Y'all ever read this story? The Bible's amazing, man. It's fun stuff. Appears with this big sword and stands in the way. Balaam doesn't see him. The donkey does. Well, there's another word for donkey, you know. And the donkey goes off into, the, into, the, into this little pasture over here. And Balaam gets mad and starts smacking his donkey. He's like, get back over there. So he gets back over on the road. He's walking. The angel of the Lord appears with a big sword again. And this time the donkey moves up against this wall and, and bumps Balaam's, Balaam's foot. And Balaam gets ticked off and smacks his donkey. You stupid donkey, what are you doing? Who's the stupid one in the story? <laughs> the last time, the third time, the, the, the donkey's going, the angel of the Lord appears. And what does the donkey do? The donkey just sits down. He's like, if I do anything too dumb, I'm going to get smacked again, right? So he just... He just sits down, but sure enough, Balaam gets ticked off, starts smacking his donkey. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and said, why have you beat me these three times? We got to preach that one. Numbers, go read it, man. Numbers 22, man. Why have you beat me these three times? Can't you see right in front of you, and then the, the Bible says that, the angel, that, that God opened up his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord and Balaam falls in and, and repentance. God has a way of using these things in our life. Here the fish comes, swallows him up. Hmm. Two things I notice because of this. First one is this, A, he loves you enough to protect you even in the middle of your stupidity. Even in the middle of your stupidity, running from the will of God, throw me overboard, better for me to die, God says, I'm not going to let you get off that easy. (laughs) Fish, whoop! And that fish kept him safe in that storm for three days and three nights. See, a lot of us would like to escape the will of God. Here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. If you are a Christian, you are a Christ follower, God has every right to show up and speak to you and say, hey, I want you to do this. Every right. Every right. Do this. Do that. Every right. If you're not a Christ follower, guess what? You're still his creation. He has every right to show up. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Open up. Don't resist any longer. He has every right. And so what he does here, he's just like, hold on. Jonah, you're not going to get off that easy. He points a fish. Fish swallows him. Protects him. In the middle. The second thing I see is this, is that he cares about his will being accomplished. Wait a second, Jonah. I had purpose for you. You can't throw yourself overboard yet. (laughs) Go and do what I want you to do first. Man. Y'all with me? He He has need of you. Another thing I noticed this, and we'll, we'll close right here, is that in the fish, there's a great transition that takes place. In the belly of that fish, there's a great transition that takes place in Jonah's life. Because eight of the ten verses are all about him coming to his senses. Eight of the ten verses are all about him coming back around and realizing, God, I was wrong. I was running from you, doing my own thing, and I was absolutely wrong. First verse, 
in the belly. The next eight verses, him repenting, calling out to God from the depths of Sheol. He felt separated. He felt abandoned. He felt useless. He couldn't do anything except for cry out to God. And in that moment, a great transition takes place. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something. The same thing can happen to you because in in those seasons of confinement, it leads to refinement in our life because God wants to do something in you. God wants to do something through you. And too often times when we run from the will of God, what's the will of God? Well, the will of God is you to share the love of God with everyone around you. Oh, that's great, Ben, but, but what I really want to know is what job am I supposed to have? And, and what, what, where am I supposed to live? And, you know, how many kids I'm supposed to have? And, and who I'm supposed to marry? And, and all those things I'm telling you right now. If you would just focus on the simple things and begin to walk in obedience. Listen to me. The Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, is not that hard. It's really not. It's actually one of the most liberating lives in the world. Because where everybody else is running around searching for this end all, looking for answers and looking for this and looking for that, now we can just look up and see Jesus and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Or we could do this, we could just get up in the morning and crack open the Bible. Is somebody with me? You don't have to spend all your money, travel around Europe looking for the will of God. If you have money you want to travel around Europe, awesome. Take me with you. (laughs) But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. The Christian life is honestly one of the most liberating in the world. Why is that? Because, man, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He speaks, we do. Is it really that simple? It's really that simple. how, How do I know what he's speaking? Start right here. Start right here. See, so many of us want to, oh, God, I want to know your will. Speak to me. But we never pick this up. That's like trying to become a doctor without getting an education. I want to be a doctor. Give me a scalpel. Let me cut something. Oh. It's the same thing. What do you got to do? You got to get an education. You got to go to a lot of years of school. How do I know the will of God? Very simple. It's not that hard. Here's Jonah. Jonah knew what he was supposed to do, but he didn't do it. Ran from it. And so God brought him to a season of confinement. Why? Because he wanted to refine something inside of Jonah. Here's the thing. God had to get the idols out of Jonah's life before he could use Jonah to get the idols out of Nineveh. But so oftentimes it's so easy to point our finger at everybody else. What does the Bible say? Hey, take the beam out of your own eye before you try taking the splinter out of somebody else's. You think it's easy to stand up here and preach messages like this when God's taking beams out of my eye all week long? <laughs> it was a big one, Ben. We're going to get this one out, though, because you can't preach it to them until we get that beam out of you. Go, okay. Go take some splinters out. Hey, this is easy. Man, God's working overtime on me. You know, I, I, get to, I, get, I get to do, like, you know, splinter surgery for 30 minutes. God has six days to work on me. That's all I give him. I was kidding. <laughs> and here's Jonah, and he's in this, in this well, and God, the great transition. How do we see the transition? We see the transition because even in his prayers, God, I was wrong. You, you have every right to do what you're doing. God, I was wrong. Matter of fact, one great transition is this, is in chapter 1. In chapter 1, it says he saw it as the people throwing him overboard. In chapter 2, as he's praying, he says, God, you threw me overboard. God, it was you 
God, you're in control. God, this vessel is not my own. It's, it's you, and you can do whatever you want with me. And I, all I can do really is simply walk in obedience and, and do that. Three things God refines. Number one, he, or A, he refines him personally. He had to get the idols out of his life. Before we preach the gospel to others, we must first preach it to ourselves. His own agenda, his own desire, his own will have become an idol. Say, so how, how, how do we get idols in our life? Yeah, many of us have idols in our life. Let me just give you this simple uh, idea or thought or analogy of what an idol is. An idol can be anything, really. But an idol happens when we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. We could take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. We could take a marriage, it's a good thing, but then make it an ultimate thing. We could take a good job and making money, it's a good thing. But then we can make it an ultimate thing, and that becomes an idol in our life. Jonah had some idols in his life, and God had to remove those. Second thing is this, is he refines his specific will for Jonah. He refines his specific will for Jonah. What did Jonah say? That which I, I vow, I will also pay. God, I understand now. I get it. I get it, God. And he refines his specific, here's what I want you to do. How do we know he refines his specific will? Because in chapter one, he's running. Chapter two, he's repenting. And in chapter three, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh. Nothing changed except for Jonah's heart. God's will still stayed the same. God's purpose still stayed the same. The only thing that changed was Jonah's heart. The season of confinement was refining him, saying, Jonah, I have a purpose for you. I have a will for you. And here's the cool part about it. At the end of it, God points it all back. He refines, gets the idols out. He refines and he begins to say, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. And then he refines it a little bit more and he says, and here is my will. And we see it in Jonah's prayer. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He first refines him personally, takes the idols out. Some of you, you need to be refined personally, get some idols taken out of your life. He then begins to refine the specific will. Nothing changed except for his heart. And thirdly, he begins to refine his overall call that none should perish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And listen, that was the last word of his prayer, and we could talk more about the context of that, but for time's sake, we won't. But the last word, he says, is salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the very next verse says, and God spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited up on dry land. Seasons of confinement lead to refinement. God hurled the storm, but he also appoints. What does it mean he appoints? It means an object lesson. What's your season of confinement look like? I don't feel like I'm getting the answers. Good, just keep calling on him. He wants you to seek him more. I just, I just don't feel like I have clear direction on, on, on if I'm supposed to move or not. Then don't move. Stay put. Keep seeking him. I, I don't know if this is the right person I'm supposed to marry. Trust me, you'll know. <laughs> What's your season of confinement look like? Now, it probably doesn't look like a fish. God forbid it smells like one. <laughs> but what does your season of confinement look like? God has got you in that season because he wants to do something to you so he can get something through you. 
God wants to do something inside of you in your season of confinement. And if we recognize it and we begin to turn, God will begin to answer. Listen to me, Jonah chapter 2 is so simple. We could talk about this another week. Jonah chapter 2 is so simple because it's really a whole chapter on repentance. And listen to me, there's two types of people here, I believe, today. They're those that need to get right with God. They've never called upon the name of the Lord, and he's never became their Savior. And like Jonah, we need to come to that place and realize we've been running, and we need to repent. But I believe there's also some Christ followers in here, and you've developed selective hearing in your life. And you are not heeding and listening to what God is telling you to do. And because of that, you're running. Verse 1 of chapter 2, season of confinement. Verses 2 through verse 9, all a prayer of repentance. Verse 10, God moves. God reacts. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. God is so good. He's so merciful. He's so gracious. It doesn't, it doesn't paint this picture of Jonah went through this severe repentance and then 40 chapters later, oh, God then answered. God is so good. He's so sovereign. He's so holy. He's so just. He's so right. He loves you so much. He cares about you so much and he cares about his will being fulfilled. Listen to me. God is more gracious than man. God restores a whole lot quicker than man restores. You blow it, people have a hard time forgiving you for years. It separates families. It separates friends. They can't even get over it. One call to God, the very next verse. Jonah, get on with your life. Jonah, although a righteous man falls seven times, he picks himself up and he gets going again. Listen to me today. It does not matter where you were at when you walked in. All that matters is where you're at when you walk out of here today. And if you would just come to the place, it won't take you eight verses. It can take you one moment. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In that moment, God redeems. In that moment, God refines. In that moment, God restores. He picks you up, and he says, let's get going with life. And uh, and the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so have your transgressions been removed from you. That's the goodness of God. God is so much gooder than man. So much more. So much more. I believe this God just spoke to some of you here today. You're carrying around a chip on your shoulder. You're carrying around harboring some unforgiveness, harboring some bitterness in your life. The Bible says this. The Bible talks before you even come to God in prayer. Make sure you're right with your brother. Mm. Stand your feet, close your eyes. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you. You're so good. Hallelujah. God, you're amazing. God, you're amazing. God, you're amazing. God, you're so good. God, we love you. God, we love your word. God, we thank you for it. Do me a favor. Close your eyes for a minute because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to minister to somebody right now. Please don't talk. Please don't move. Just, just for one second. We're finishing up right now. Hallelujah. We just, we, just, we just looked at a chapter that dealt with one thing, repentance and restoration. Before there can be restoration, there's got to be repentance. What is repentance? It means coming back to the top, coming back to the will of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Just close your eyes for me. There's somebody, there's somebody here, there's people here right now that you need to get rid of some baggage. You've been carrying some stuff around and it's separating, ah, yeah, 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 it's separating you. Your season of confinement has been that, that God, are you hearing my prayers and God's saying, I really want to, but you've got to get rid of that chip on your shoulder. And before you bring your stuff to me, before you bring your stuff to me, get right with your brother.
get right with your sister. Hallelujah. 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 There's some others of you. There's some others of you that are here. Hallelujah. And you need to get right with God today. You need to get right with God today. You need to get right with God. Listen to me. You can put the makeup on. You can paint the right picture. You can even come to a Sunday service and try to appease your conscience. But God is saying, hey, I want your whole life. Uh, what's God's will? God's will is simply this. My life fully surrendered to him, walking in obedience to what he wants. End of story. You say, Ben, is it really that simple? Yeah, it's really that simple. But Ben, what about the job? He'll give you the desires of your heart as you delight yourself in him. Ben, what about the financial provision? God will provide. He's never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed having to beg bread. And listen to me, sometimes, my God, sometimes making the God choice and the God decision is not easy. Hallelujah. But listen to me, never ignore what God is speaking to your heart. It might cost you to sacrifice relationships. It might cause you to sacrifice, sacrifice uh, it might cause you to sacrifice jobs. It might cost you to sacrifice finances. It might, there, there's a cost. But never ignore the voice of God when he is speaking to you. God speaks. We either run or we do. We either run or we do. We either run or we do. Hallelujah. There's somebody here today and you've been looking for fulfillment in relationships, but you haven't been finding it. You've been finding momentary, momentary fulfillment, but you're not finding a life fulfillment. Because God is saying, would you surrender? Would you surrender and let me bring the person? Would you surrender and let me bring the person? Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Say, Ben, what does God want to do in my life today? Eyes closed, heads bowed, very simple. He wants to vomit you up onto dry land. Yeah. He wants to take you out of the depths, as Jonah prayed of Sheol, and out of the depths of the circumstances that are crashing over your life, like the waves of a sea. And he wants to put you on a solid place. He wants to put you on dry ground. But the one thing that's separating you is what Jonah had to go through. Repentance. Repentance.